shrimp tank Big fish, small pond in the shrimp tank When it's take a swim, only option is to win In the murky water, not a thought of giving in Hey everybody, good evening and welcome to the Shrimp Tank right here in the Shrimp Tank studios in beautiful downtown Alpharetta. I'm your co-host Ted Jenkins, sitting here with my co-host Lee Heisman. Of course, we usually come to you during the daytime, but we are starting a watch party tonight as we are having a, uh, is this a slumber party, Lee, for like a slumber party shrimp it, tank? It feels like it, Ted. Uh, something like that. Uh, and the shrimp tank, what we do is bring you some of the brightest and best CEOs in the city of Atlanta, around the state of Georgia, but today... We have a special, special guest who has flown all the way from Canada. So this is now, are we an international show now, Lee? That would be considered international. Hey. 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 We're going to get to that in just a minute. But Duncan McPherson, who's the CEO of Pareto Systems, they are the leader, in my mind at least, in coaching financial professionals and other professionals, showing them how to grow top-line revenue and how to increase their business. We're going to talk to Duncan about that because, listen, if you're uh, tuning into the program tonight... You're going to get some nuggets today. You're going to learn from Duncan about how you can really grow your business. I have seen this firsthand. I've spoken to many financial advisors around the country. These guys are unbelievable. As always, you can hear a replay of all of our broadcasts if this is your first time tuning into the show at shrimptankpodcast.com. You can always go to iHeartRadio where you're rising in the ranks in the entrepreneur section on iHeart. Literally more than 100 million people that listen to iHeart all over the United States and in Canada as well. And uh, you can always uh, get us at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or anywhere around the internet. Lee, we have lots to talk about today. Now, you guys know Lee, and Lee and I, we do talk about some personal stuff that's on here, but I have to say... Uh, Lee Heisman is a guy that you you want to hear his opinion. I would say the majority of the time, and I give him majority at 95%, if Lee says it makes sense to do something, you do it. You just do it. Now, Lee knows a ton about health and wellness and fitness. And uh, he recently changed his diet out here and, and his wife, Emily. She's watching today. Uh, Emily is uh, more fit than Lee. Uh, is she more fit than you? Oh, I've outpunted my coverage on many yeah, ways. Yeah, you, you did. Um, and a great chef and knows how to make all this stuff. But I wanted to bring in Duncan for this first discussion here because there's this huge debate uh, in the United States, and I don't know if it's happening in Canada, Duncan, about the diets and should the diet be a keto-type diet, you know? Uh, should it be a plant-based diet? And the company Beyond Meat was one of the first ones to surface here of having this uh, plant-based or vegan-based type burger. And I'm, I don't know, is, is this a trend, a fad? What do we think from an entrepreneur perspective? Or this is part of a way of life? And Ted, before Duncan jumps in, I will share with you this topic, and I won't go into too much depth, but I will tell you I have never seen a more polarized topic in our yeah. community these days. You either love the plant-based or you hate it. You love the paleo or you hate it. You love the keto or you hate it. There is no in-between. Is Chex Mix on the program? Chex Mix can be put on the program. Really? Watch well, I'm going to go plant-based tomorrow. I there mean, I can't go. live without my Chex Mix. Absolutely. Man. So what's happening in Canada? Are people, as you travel the country, are people talking about this at all? It's definitely out there. But, I mean, for me, <clears throat> at this stage of my life, I'm thinking <clears throat> less consumption and yeah. more output of effort. Yeah. Uh, so expand energy, be mindful of portion control, and... 
mean, I love well, food. I bring it up, Duncan, because I was over in Europe about a month ago, and I spent nine days in Italy, and I just noticed that really nobody gives a crap. And they, I want to say this, they eat whatever they want. There's huge meat, there's yeah. cheeses, there's breads, and I'm thinking... This isn't on any of the diets that we have here, yet everybody is reasonably thin for the large part. And I noticed that portion control is a huge deal for them, that they eat whatever they want, but it's not like America where everything's king size, big size, you know, it's grande and then venti. It's like, what does, what does that even mean? So I don't know. Is this the, what do you think? Is it the trend? Or? Well, I'll tell you that I was up in New Jersey recently and I saw the Big Gulp. Do you remember the Big Gulp, oh, the 7 yeah. Eleven? We grew yeah. up in New Jersey. It was sure, that's the a most di- obnoxious that's a, that's a diabetes thing. friend. It was unbelievable. But, you know, I think Duncan has it right. And whether you said at this stage of your life, Duncan, you look spry and young, but uh, less consumption, spry. more output. <laughs> you do look spry. The man hopped up the stairs today into the studio faster than I can catch him, Ted. But I will tell you, less <laughs> consumption and more output is exactly right. Whether you know it or not, people are doing intermittent fasting, our body's not used to consuming as much food. Yeah. So you're actually absolutely correct. Less consumption, you fasting in different pieces or parts of the day, and again, more output. I mean, there's a lot of money made in this, Duncan, in the world of entrepreneurialism, right? That people know that people are so vain about themselves and how they feel and how they look. And there's this debate about, does your own personal wellness help your performance at work? And I think something like this, you know, is it, that's why I say, is it just a fad or is it going to catch on? And Well, if you think of the Mediterranean, uh, they graze, yeah, they don't sit down yeah. and just eat a big meal and then go, they spread it out and the quality of the ingredients are good and they're active. Right. So I think there's something to be learned. There. Right. They all walk like five miles a day. Meanwhile, we have lazy, you know what here, driving birds and limes down the street. <laughs> they can't walk a damn block. They got to take a scooter down the week. It's crazy to Well, me. my pet peeve is at airports standing on a moving sidewalk. <laughs> I know, right? Like, come on. You can't they, walk from gate A to gate C. They're giving you the gift of time. Walk as you're being propelled. I love it. You know, I'll say, and Duncan lives in airports, and Ted, I know you have. Yeah. And Ted, you did an article one time. I thought it was one of the greatest articles. Was why, Which is that? Why oh. suddenly when you arrive at an airport do you feel like you have to eat a meal? Why do you suddenly have to start packing for food for a one or two hour flight? Who have you seen that's been in an airport as of late that's not either eating or they're basically, I mean, it's like they're uh, storing up for the winter season. They go to the basically the CNBC uh, store there and they walk out with like three packs of almonds, two uh, bars. It's like you're flying 40 minutes to Rochester. What do you, what do you need in the, what do you need <laughs> to have in the plane? Excellent perception. And if you had a flight at 8 a.m. in the morning. Don't you think you would have eaten something at the house, which most people do, and then they leave? But are they worried that maybe I'll never eat again? I don't know where I'm going to (laughs) be. I think it comes down to time. People are in a hurry, and they're in a hurry to get to the airport. They get through security, and then they start to decompress a little bit. And then, okay, let's go find something to eat. Right. So I want to ask you about the second piece before we get to talking about the business today. And, of course, uh, Duncan has to play the social feud. So the topic of marijuana, obviously a big one in America right now, huge debate going on, uh, legal now in 10 plus states and mm-hmm. medically it's legal in 30 plus states, but Canada really took the bull by the horns and they've nationalized marijuana. Could you say moose by the horns? Oh, the bull by, what is it? They said you took the, they took take the bull the by, moose by the horns. Take, Canada Do people took say that in Canada? Is it bull no, by the horns or moose by no, the horns? No, but technically you'd have to say moose by the antlers. <laughs> 
but it just doesn't sound the same. It does. I'd say stick to uh, bull by the horn. Yeah, so when you take the moose by the antlers, and <laughs> no, it just doesn't roll. No, off it doesn't the sound. It doesn't sound. It doesn't right. sound right, but it feels appropriate today. It feels right. That was all I was. Okay, saying. when we come do a show in Vancouver, I'll say that. So when you take the moose by the antlers. And <laughs> Um, maybe we'll, uh, we'll get along with people, Lee, there. If we it, do the it's show. not going to land well. Okay. Won't land, okay. All right, won't land well. Skip that joke on there. So is is marijuana actually uh, really taking hold in Canada? Like, I mean, are you seeing people making money with grow farms and, and uh, pot shops? Well, it really got my attention in Canada when Constellation Brands bought into oh, the firm. It was huge. They bought uh, Canopy Growth Company, right? right? Yeah. Right. And that... that Put it mainstream. Uh, I'm, you know, I don't know a lot about it. I mean, it's a herb. I mean, uh, there are medicinal <laughs> benefits that people swear by. Um, I just don't know enough, but I right. do know. I mean, you have to remember something. Canada. I mean, there's more people in California than all of Canada. Is that and, true? Yeah, it's true. And we're spread out over a huge land. California mass. is what forty something million people, and uh, yeah, it's around. And I, how I'm, many in Canada? I think it's about thirty-seven. But Holy spread out. Wow. If you if you want to see something neat, look at a picture of Canada from space at night. About ninety percent of the population is within a hundred miles of the U.S. border. So you see this band of light, really, and then no vast way. darkness and little spots of light here and there. And uh, there's an old saying. I mean, <clears throat> we like to be distinct, but the old saying is, you know, when America gets a cold, Canada gets the flu. <laughs> like we are directly tied. So, I mean, we're, you're, America's our biggest trading partner. You think of NAFTA that's evolving now. And I, I kind of equate it to way, the way New Zealand interacts with Australia, right? We're kind of the, the, the sort of the little brother. We pay attention. We yeah. try to be distinct. But, you know, I, I think we might be a little bit ahead of the curve there on the medicinal side. But right. I don't really know a lot about it. Well, every week before we get into talking about Pareto systems uh, with all of our guests, and now we've got, uh, do we have the special Canadian edition today of the Social Feud? Did they ever, did they ever run Family Feud in Canada at all? Uh, well, you know, once we got electricity, I mean, it <laughs> definitely got better. Well, what game shows? Were there game shows that were popular there? Everything. We've everything. Got everything. We've got all of it. Yeah, we're pretty so, much like... Yeah. The way that this works is I give, uh, I go to Google, I type in a couple of words. Okay. And then the question is, what's the top five answers that are on the board? We'll see if we can get number one in here. And the first one that I Googled up is maple syrup is. Maple syrup is what? Say sweet, Ted. Sweet. Sweet's up there is the number five answer. It says maple syrup is sugar. We'll give you sweet on that. That was good. That was a good guess, though. Well, it's from a tree. Uh, it is awesome. <laughs> it is and, awesome. Uh, it's um, it's actually good for you. Well, Duncan got number one and number four in the uh, same sentence. How about that? First time. Awesome number is four is maple syrup is healthy. Okay. Is that is that on the uh, plant based diet? I guess why that would not be on the plant based diet? Not? Absolutely. Well, I think in some cleanses, maple syrup yeah. is absolutely. Do some tap, tap a tree and absolutely. <laughs> If you want to go to Google and read about a, a typical Canadian crime, there's a massive heist, I believe in Quebec, 
And I think they stole like a million dollars worth of maple syrup from How the factory. How do you do that? Logistically, I know. I mean, logistically, like, I mean, in a big valley, if you're doing nothing this weekend, uh, <laughs> maybe you and I can go steal some maple syrup. It doesn't get much more Canadian than that. Well, what was number one? Was that his? Maple syrup is made from a tree. Made from That was pretty tree. good. We had uh, maple syrup is vegan. There you go. Was in there as well. And then it says uh, uh, maple syrup is good on flapjacks. I like that. Yeah. I don't know call them flapjacks here. Okay. And and there's a big distinction between maple syrup and corn syrup. Really? Uh, it's a lot more expensive, but absolutely worth, worth every it. No Worth every question. ounce, every drop. It falls into the category of it's not what it costs, it's what it's worth. Ooh, I like that. All right. That. Our second one here on the social feud is uh, Mounties are... Mounties. And these are just random, right? You're not picking Canadian (laughs) stuff. I know I did pick Canadian stuff. Yeah, no. I had better ones on here. I left Prime Minister Trudeau out of this one. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep, we won't touch that one on here in the show. Mounties are Canadian. Well, the number four answer is Mounties are only in Canada. There you go. Yeah, so the RCMP... The Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Is that what it's called? Uh, yeah. The RCMPC? We yeah. learned something tonight here on the Shrimp yeah. Tank. And uh, they are <clears throat> a national police force. So in smaller towns, they don't have the ability to have their own right, right, right. police unit. It's like a state it, trooper, right? You know, yeah, that's, yeah. Exactly. But national. Uh, I think national the, trooper. <clears throat> headquarters is, um, I'm going to say Regina, Saskatchewan. Ooh, that's Ooh, a tough name to go by. I know. Regina. So is that maybe an answer? Mounties are located in Regina? Head office, I believe. Maybe it's no. the training facility of Regina and head offices in Ottawa, the nation's capital. I think I'd give Duncan one of the but it says Mounties are like the FBI. Yeah. They are like the FBI? Yeah, a little bit. Well, they've got cruisers, marked cruisers, but then they have the, you know, the investigators. Are Mounties allowed to marry? I'm pretty sure they are. Well, that was one of the Google questions on here. It said, are Mounties allowed to marry? Interesting. Very interesting stuff. All right. That was our social feud. Do you like that? Uh, You know, needs work. (laughs) (laughs) So. uh, Uh, Are we getting to hockey next? No, no, no. no. We're going to get into this today. So, Duncan, I thought we'd start off on here and just talk a little bit about the whole concept of the Pareto principle, because Mm. there are a lot of business owners that, Uh, Honestly, they're good people, and they have good intentions, but they often wind up with poor outcomes. And most of them don't think about their business in the context of this Pareto principle. Would you talk about that and how, uh, you know, what's the core of what you do at Pareto Systems? Well, at the core, and this was inspired uh, going back to the E-Myth by Michael Gerber, uh, where he talked about the distinction of working in your business versus on your business. And it's like the difference between being a good baker and running a successful bakery. And uh, part of that is in working on the business would be the Pareto principle, the 80-20 rule. And uh, if you study the Pareto principle, Vilfredo Pareto was an Italian economist back in, I believe, the 1800s. And he, he identified that 80% of the land was owned by 20% of the people. And that's where this concept came from? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And in fact, it... it it got extrapolated. I mean, uh, 80% of the peas come from 20% of the pods. Is that true? Yeah. Well, give or take. All right. But it's counterintuitive because that, I'm sure, helped prompt the notion of pruning. To imp- so it's counterintuitive to take something away to improve what's left. 
And you do that in this principle with your clients? In some instances, we say to clients, our clients, we say, you've, you've got too many clients. And the goal is not to see how big you can get, it's how small you can stay in terms of the quality of the client experience. And here's what's interesting. Every entrepreneur, but especially uh, a knowledge-for-profit entrepreneur, someone who thinks for a living, right? they've got clients who need them. Like they, the clients need the provider. And then there's clients who deserve the provider, right? So <clears throat> here's what's interesting. Your most deserving clients are often the least demanding. So true. Yeah. Because they're busy, they're successful, they're respectful of your value, and uh, they understand your role. They hire, Your clients, for example, would hire you to help them go live their lives. You liberate them, right? What happens is you see a lot of uh, fee-for-service professionals who react to the people who need them at the expense of the people who deserve them. And at the expense of themselves. It does come at their own expense, A, because they plateau. And if you think about, you know, no good deed goes unpunished, they give and give and give. And it's just not uh, appreciated to the level. Yeah, but Duncan, you've become very successful. And you and I were texting about this earlier. You know, this fee for service, as you described it, there's a nuance about running a successful fee for service business. Explain how how you've incorporated that. Well, Oh, and, and just to finish on the 80-20 thing, and then I'll pivot sure. over. Um, one of the most profound observations about the 80-20 rule is allocation of time. You know, for example, uh, one of our coaches did an audit of how one of our clients spent their time in a week. So this, this client worked 48 hours one week, four hours on the 20%, 44 hours reacting to the 80% who generate just 20% of the business. And not to oversimplify it, but is there any uh, wonder why they plateaued, right? Because they're competitor-proofing and ultimately replicating the 80%. Like, you think about deserve, it stems from the Latin words to serve. Well, they're getting the referrals they deserve. They're servicing the 80% who do 20% of the business. That's where the referrals are coming from. Do you think uh, when you look at fee-for-service professionals, let's say it's an attorney, an accountant, a financial advisor, when you look at how they start their businesses, most of it, I liken it to the game I played as a kid called Hungry Hungry Hippo. You know, they basically are just, you know, gobbling up as as many marbles as they can, but they're not really thinking about the long-term effects. So when you're talking to somebody who's listening to the podcast and saying, I'm going to start this business and I'm going to be a fee-for-service professional... Should I start not so worried about top-line revenue, thinking about the long-term outcome, or is it still, I survive now, but then I figure out how to pare down later and get to that 80-20 rule? Is there a balance between that? Well, there's definitely a trajectory, and I just want to say that this comment is brought to you by uh, Yoohoo. Yoohoo! <laughs> I, I definitely am starting to warm up to this. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Let me tell you Spectacular. what. Spectacular. Ice cold on a hot day, slug down three of those. It's good for you. That's pretty good. Except for the sugar and everything in it, but otherwise it's pretty good. Yeah, it's not dairy, right. not dairy, Ted. Not it dairy. is not dairy. And what not, is what not. is chocolate flavored water anyway? Just you. I know it just <laughs> doesn't make it. You know tastes like it. chocolate milk, though, doesn't it? It does, but lighter. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> very refreshing. 
Um, okay, so let's let's uh, blend this together. So in the last um, three weeks, I've spoken to uh, at conferences for financial advisors, commercial insurance professionals, PGA golf professionals, and accountants. And I, I remind them, I say, you don't want a client to buy something from you. You want them to buy into something. You want to buy into a relationship with you. You want to buy, have them buy into your process. It's not a transaction, okay, where you're trading time for money. And you have to be able to articulate that value. And that, first of all, helps to decommoditize your value and create professional contrast. Now, tying that into 80-20, it is absolutely essential for somebody who's in the fee-for-service space to define their ideal client. And ultimately modify their mindset where it's not about who they're looking for. It's who they're suited for. Like, where's the fit? Where's the alignment of interest? So they've got to create an ideal client profile that panoramically defines who they're suited for and make that client facing, like be prepared to show someone this profile and say, look, I made a decision not to try to be all things to all people, but to be all things to some people. So this is who we're suited for. And Make that aspirational, because if you think of the law of attraction, I mean, that's right out of Think and Grow Rich, right? Yeah. So it's Napoleon Hill 101. Absolutely. So you're not chasing, trying to convince someone to become a client. You're striving to attract someone. How do you do that, though, Duncan? If you have no idea, it's like, okay, you say, I want my ideal client. Uh, Lee and I were thinking about uh, physically fit women. No, no, we're not thinking about that. <laughs> uh, what, you know, you're thinking about who you want, but you don't exactly know, except you want someone to make you money. How do you help someone go through that process? I know yeah. you do it with a lot of fee-for-service professionals in Canada, the United States, all over, all over the world. How do you help people get there? Well, the first place they start for someone who's established is I say, who's your favorite client now? Like, who's the client where there's no dread when you see their number on the call? So I like this guy as a client of ours. His right. name is Bobby B. I'll leave his last name okay. out of it. Great, great, great client. Okay. Yeah, but let's be clear real quick. You said, who's your favorite client? And that doesn't necessarily mean that they fit that model as well. Well, ideally, I think they would at least track in the direction. Okay. But here's the thing. The knowledge for profit professional thinks for a living. So a lot of it is up here. Right. So it's in their heart, right? I care. It's in their head, their technical ability. That's a quality skill and intention. That's not proprietary. I want them to professionalize and standardize all of that by getting it out of their heads and documenting it. So the starting point here would be create an ideal client profile. And our, our favorite framework is AAA. Okay, so your ideal... AAA. AAA. Your ideal client would be a AAA client, okay? Yeah. Which means... There's an alignment of their needs right. now and in the future that align with your expertise and your process. Okay. That's number one. Number two, attitudinal compatibility. They're nice people. Right. Right? There's two types of people, right? There's the fountain and the drain. Yeah. Some clients are draining. Some people you just really like being around. It's the law of environment. It brings something out in Jacobstein, a drainer. <laughs> Inside voice. No, I said that out loud. I said listening. that out loud. It doesn't really, it doesn't matter. Okay. I have lots of Jacob scenes. You just well, decide which one that you are. Okay. So on the second A, with attitudinal compatibility, you might actually have knockout factors, all the things you don't want that are not a good fit. And you stick to that ardently. And then the third A, advocacy. Yeah. So what's an advocate? 
Okay, an advocate introduces people to you not because they're trying to help you grow your business. They feel they're doing their friend a disservice if they don't introduce them to you. Right. Right. They're advocates for both. They're, they know exactly how your value is going to reflect back on them. They understand the friend's unmet need. They make the introduction. They expect nothing in return. Isn't it funny, though, there's a lot of professionals that will say, my clients love me. And then you'll ask them, well, how many clients do you have? A hundred. How many referrals did you get last year? Five. Okay, so here's the distinction there. Right. That, that professional is referable, but they're probably their own best kept secret. So here's what's happening. Right. They're being endorsed, not introduced. Clients endorse, okay? So a client's in a referral situation. They're out for dinner with a friend. The topic comes up. The friend says, hey, are you happy with your financial advisor? Oh, yeah, he's great. You call him. So he's, he's endorsing you. And the endorsement's got the lasting value of a Red Bull, right? Goes to their head to die. Right. It's undermined by the law of diminishing intent because the onus was placed on the stranger calling another stranger, even though there's yeah, an endorsement. Not going to happen. Not never going to happen. An advocate tells the friend, you know what? I've got this. I'm going to call Ted. Okay? I'm going to make an introduction. Yeah, the virtual introductions are big today. Tremendously big. And I will tell you, Duncan, I have to interrupt and, and share this. You know, we have a... Ted does financial advising. Of course, I have a technology firm and a number of other businesses. But I tell people all the time when they say, Lee, I, I have a friend that needs your services. Right. And I say, please don't give them my information. That's the first thing I say. Please do not give them our, my information. And, and again, listeners out there, you may be wondering why. But I said, because I don't care how much pain they're in, they're never going to pick up the phone and call me. Right. You need to either do a mutual introduction, yeah. a mutual email, or provide me their information. Well, you see what's powerful about that is you're finding that sweet spot between projecting scarcity and telling the world that you're growing. So when you say to the world, look, we only accept new clients who are introduced to us, but it's got to be a good fit. And then you define the rules of engagement. You know, I know we're going for dinner later. My favorite restaurants are an open kitchen. Oh, yeah, you'll like this. And it's oh, an open, it's kitchen. open, kitchen. So, open kitchen. So why do I like the open kitchen? Because you can see, yeah, you see what's getting made. So this is what I keep saying to my clients. Be an open kitchen. You're not marketing to yourself. Show your clients everything. Show them the process for how to make an introduction. Exactly what you're saying. I was just doing that here. Jacob Steen. I was doing it right there. I was being an open kitchen. All right, we're going to take a quick break from our sponsors. You're going to hear from Jay Smith Lanier and Marsh McLennan. They're the experts in benefits. Look, if your company just went through a renewal at health insurance and you didn't get the right price, these are the guys you want to talk to. When we come back, we're going to get a little bit Lee into our uh, hot or not section, ask Duncan his opinion on some trends that are happening with entrepreneurs and talk about that and much, much more when we return to the shrimp tank. For over 135 years, one name has stood for honesty, integrity, and true American values. J. Smith Lanier & Company. Today, we're one of the nation's oldest, largest, and most respected independent insurance brokers. A trusted, proven partner to business, industry, and the community. J. Smith Lanier & Company. Insuring people and business since 1868. Online at jsmithlanier.com. So. Jay Smith and Lanier. Did you hear that commercial, Duncan? 
Is that your infomercial voice? Well, that was their infomercial, their infomercial voice. voice. They said, we're Jay Smith Linear, the experts in executive benefits. And don't order yet. Yeah, exactly. And now... Oh, Ted, I have to make a comment if I yeah. may. So, Duncan, yeah. as I mentioned, here in town, we've had over 210 episodes, 780 plus across Gosh, the yeah, country. Soon to be in Canada, Ted, and we'll go into that as crazy. we wrap up can't the wait. show. We can't wait. It'll be exciting. Uh, but my wife, who has to listen to me every day, 365, mm. 24-7 actually texted me and said, Duncan's amazing. Mm. Yeah, and she never listens to a show. Nice. So I'm going to need But she you... ever said that you were amazing? Never, never. Duncan's okay. amazing. Emily, And you can on. look into the camera, so, Duncan. And... Uh, uh, thank you. <laughs> I'm going to need you to text my wife. And just, echo, because my wife, my wife is awesome. I mean, she's a great cook. She's a great mom. She's great. Um, but she still, to this day, cannot believe I get paid to talk. Exactly. And here, here's how bad it got. She said, can I listen at dinner as well? Duncan, just she wants to keep listening to Duncan. Oh well, yeah, we're going to go out. Listen to uh, dinner. I'm going to record it and then bring it back. Because I'll tell you this much: on a side note, if you haven't listened to the first segment and you're chiming in right now or tuning in, there is no question to go back to iTunes, Google Play Store, uh, obviously ShrimpTankPodcast.com. I have already five notes made of Duncan's words. Ted's, I mean, I I can't, I'm taking notes. It's not what it costs, it's what it's worth. Clients need the provider, but you want clients that deserve the provider. Clients don't buy something from you, they want to buy into you. I am taking notes. I like I will that. Be was a, that was a good one. Triple I like, A. I like everything this Triple man a. says. Triple A, and you even used an A word. There was one point, you used an additional A word in the ardent, I think, at one point. I'm like, wait, is that yeah. Stick a? to it ardently. Yes. Ardently, but yes. I'm like, that's the fourth A. That's a quadruple A. The Triple A, the alignment, the attitude, well, and the advocacy. What that is, is it's, you define your rules of engagement, right? You define them, and you let them serve you, okay? The world craves consistency. It creates trust. So when you're showing this to your clients, especially business owners, they respect it. And I'll tell you something. I get absolutely thrilled when a client of ours is in a B2B relationship and their client says to our client, hey, can you show me how to deploy some of this in my business? That's powerful. Very powerful. Duncan, we're going to get into a little bit into our hot or not section in a second, but I, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about this blue square method because uh, I've, I've seen it, you know, I've heard you talk about it before, but what is it and how can it help entrepreneurs grow? Well, I appreciate that. And as you know, uh, Chris Jepson, who's yeah. the head of practice management at First Trust, he and I co-wrote the advisor playbook, which we're very, very happy with. It's been very well received. And uh, the blue square method, I'd say, would be an extension, would be a follow-up on the advisor playbook. But it's more panoramic in that it's not just on professional and business development. It's also on personal development. Right. So the blue square, um, and maybe what we can do is uh, get you the icon, because the icon was, uh, is an ikigai. Right, and ikigai is a Japanese premise, and it's basically the reason for being. Okay, so if you think of Maslow's hierarchy, there it is. This right is there. it. Oh, yeah. I just talked about Maslow's hierarchy. That's a ikigai. That's an ikigai. Right. Okay, can't spell that. Okay, but, uh, well let's 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 sort of, and I'll keep it brief. But let me tell you this kismet thing. Duncan and I have kismet going on because I texted him about two seconds before he was going to text me. He said I was about to text you. I wrote kismet. He's nice. like, oh my gosh. Yeah. 
Yesterday, I was in a meeting, and a gentleman referenced Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which you understand. You feel, you feel. It's a pyramid that starts with food and water. You're not thinking of of shelter if you don't have food, water, and air. You're not thinking of self-actualization if you don't have these previous things. I can't believe you just said that again. I'm feeling very connected to you tonight, Duncan. Well, well, thank you. (laughs) Um, If you think of Kaizen, okay, again, Japanese. Yeah, I know Kaiser so say, but not Kaizen. Okay, well, we're in the same. I'm close. (laughs) Ballpark. (laughs) That's what uh, we get when Ted comes yeah, in. You get yeah. the point. Do we have like a mute button? Over no, <laughs> come on. So Kaizen uh, is constant improvement, right? It, essentially, some people would interpret it as saying Kai is change, Zen is good. Change is good, right? So that blue square, the bullseye, okay, as you can see, it's the reason for being, okay? And what we've noticed as we get a little older and our clients mature a little bit, they they come to this realization, and by the way, I learned this from Jim Rohn many, many years ago. Um, he said, you don't set a goal for what it gets you, it's for what it makes of you, right? So that blue square is the bullseye. So basically what we're trying to do is to find that perfect balance between quantifiable business development and qualitative personal development. Mm. So. You know, you read the e-myth, he says the business is supposed to serve your life, not the other way around, right? We talked about this earlier. You get all these entrepreneurs that try so hard, uh, but uh, no good deed goes unpunished. Like, it's coming at their own expense, right? So how about a hot or not? Is, is work-life balance hot or is it not? Uh, I'd say it's absolutely essential. It's not optional. Not optional? Not optional. I mean, you can't pour from an empty cup, Right. The best way to take care of your clients, the best way to take care of your partners and your uh, team is to take impeccable care of yourself. But let me ask you a question to to play on that. Do you feel that work-life balance is attainable? Or I've heard many entrepreneurs use the term work-life juggle because it may not always be in balance in a particular day, maybe heavier at certain times, lighter on other. Do you subscribe? Is it hot or not to use the word juggle or do you like balance? Um, you know, semantics, I think. Um, I like balance because it's aspirational. And look, it ebbs and flows, right? I think a major part is, if you think of cause and effect, is just get really bought into the activity that leads to productivity. Almost detach expectations away from the productivity and the outcomes. Just do the work and have immense pride and purpose in the work, right? And then just let it go and just be at peace with the outcomes. How about a hot or not? Uh, hire an advisory board. Do you recommend that fee-for-service professional gets a board of people to counsel them? Or Absolutely. Do, you like that? Absolutely. Love but is it, is it other owners, or do you get coaches? What, what's the best way to go about doing that? Well, again, this is right out of our playbook, is uh, make your clients the voice you listen to. It's, it's no different than the owner of a big retail chain working the counter. Yeah. Right? Like, just... Get connected with your clients and listen to them because, again, you're not marketing to yourself. Like, make them the voice because it's easy. Like, confirmation bias, cognitive dissonance. I'm optimistic, right? I I believe my own hype all the time. I need the voice of reason. And the best voice of reason is the recipient of your value. 
It's very funny so, you say that, and we talk about that all the time for our listeners out there, is the best way to grow your business in, in a more simplistic way is listen to your staff and your employees, because yeah. they're the ones that are obviously on the front lines every day. Absolutely. And then, as you said, listen to your clients, which they're the ones that are paying the bills and, and are wanting to utilize your services. And as you said, if you have that deep relationship with the client, if you do what you are speaking of, then that client is going to provide an honest answer in a very constructive criticism fashion. Well, let's go right back to Maslow's hierarchy. So- the blue square is all about getting to self-actualization, but right in the middle of it is belonging, okay? Being appreciated. Your clients want to feel like they belong to something. It's not a transaction. They're part of a community. So why not bring them in? And they'll, and they'll engage more. At, well, and how attractive is it to a client to sit down in an advisory council, Ted, and say, we take a lot of pride in what we do, but we know we can always raise the bar. And they feel vested in you if you allow them to speak well, up. Didn't, didn't the technology right. companies do this? Companies like Apple, it wasn't always face-to-face, but they'd have these forums and they would get their best users in the forums and starting to share with other users. And that made them feel even more aligned with the company. Yeah, well, technology would call that open source, right? Absolutely. So let me jump into another hot or not for you is uh, focus on yourself where you stand today in your business or focus on the next generation of the fee-based service professionals. Speaking about next generation. Well, I'm Canadian, so I can't go this far without making a hockey analogy. (laughs) (laughs) You did it, Duncan. We did not do that. Let's make a note of that. Gretzky said, where's the puck going, right? Yeah. So, you know, with relationships, with client relationships, you always want to be future pacing and letting them look at where the relationship's going. Not where it just is, but where's it going, okay? This counters loyalty fatigue. This counters familiarity. This competitor proofs relationships and keeps them bought in, okay? With respect to the other side of your question, the practical nature of of next-gen, demography is a powerful force. And the one of the many things I love about entrepreneurship is this sort of unwritten rule. Every entrepreneur had a mentor. They were a protege. Now they're the mentor. And they can invest themselves into the next generation. You know, in a perfect world, it'd be a family member. If not, that's okay. Just bring on a protege. You know, you think about entrepreneurship. It's not about going out and getting a job. It's creating a job and creating other jobs. Like the alchemy, the purity of that is so powerful. So yeah, I love the the demographic shifts that are occurring and it can serve you or hurt you. It's self-fulfilling. But if you've got a plan and a process, it'll serve you well. Let's do one more hot or not, <clears throat> although I think I know what you're going to say in here, but hot or not to fire a client when you're fee-for-service. Yeah, so again, semantics. I don't think of it as firing a client. I think you're doing them a disservice by keeping them if they're not a good fit. Right. So I think of it in terms of disassociating from a client. Right-sizing in the interest of the team and the rest of the clients, being respectful and taking the high road, and just simply saying to a client, hey, you know what, in the beginning, when I started, I'd work with anybody who'd have me. And, you know, as we move down the track, we're getting really big, starting to dilute the client experience. Instead of being all things to all people, I'm going to be all things to some people. And I think it's just not a good fit. 
you don't meet up with our AAA ideal client profile. So I'd like to introduce you to somebody else who I think is a better fit. And Ted, before you go to break, I want to I want to um, echo this, and it's very important. What do, do you give these clients, Duncan? an opportunity to fit your model and where you've evolved to before you might have this disassociating meeting? If the second A, if there's an attitudinal compatibility, that one's, you can't want it more than they do. If it's, if you, if, if there's a disconnect there, then no. But if there's a good chemistry in the relationship. You can train them. Well, it's rules of engagement. And here's the thing. Many, especially because fee-for-service, it's so abstract, it's so um, commoditized that a lot of knowledge-for-profit professionals become their own best-kept secret. They don't know how to articulate value to get people to buy in. So just give them the benefit of the doubt and say, hey, these are the rules of engagement. And if they don't respond... Then you take the high road and disassociate. And I just wanted to clarify because you can, as you go through your 80-20 rule and you start knocking off the ones that you may not feel, and as a listener, as you think about this and even possibly engage Duncan Services, yeah. you may think, oh, good, these are the clients I don't like. I'm going to to disengage with them. But the reality is you may actually have been weak in your description and rules of engagement, and you want to give them a chance before you do so. Would you agree? Well, at the end of the day, again, one of the most important qualities of an entrepreneur is – 100% responsibility. Okay, so if you think of that book, Extreme Ownership, right? no blaming, no complaining. The, the, the business owner is the architect of the outcome. Okay, so if they've got a client where the relationship is sort of costing them more than it's getting them, they engineered that. The entrepreneur engineered it. So give the client the benefit of the doubt. Try to reset the relationship and see where it lands. And if it doesn't land then you just respectfully move on. We're talking with Duncan McPherson. He uh, joined us. uh, God bless him. He went from Vancouver to L.A. to Miami and all the way to join us tonight here in Atlanta. We're talking with him. He's the CEO of Pareto Systems. We're going to take a quick break from our sponsors, the small business lawyers, Adamson and Cleveland. These guys know anything and everything about buy-sell agreements, how to build that business will for your business, employment agreements, and much, much more. We're going to talk to Duncan and get into our plead the fifth section. Find out if Lee's got a good one here when we return to the shrimp tank. Our main goal is to help our clients put their lives back together. We're never going to be outworked on a case, and we're never going to be underprepared. As attorneys, we have to tell the story in a way that they can get a fair recovery. When you come to Adamson and Cleveland, you get good guys that are great lawyers with a very personal touch on your case. They always sound like they're walking up a bunch of steps ready to try a case when I hear that commercial, you know? it's uh, I feel like attorneys a lot, they're either, it's either a, a superhero commercial or a drama commercial. But I love the understatement. I mean, there's no bravado. Like, it's just, no. this is who we are. Yep, these like guys that. are so good for business owners out there that if you want a lawyer... And a lot of business owners, you know, they cheap out on lawyers until something bad happens. And it's truly a bad idea. Do you not think to uh, cheap out on getting professionals that are fee-for-service when you're an entrepreneur and it always hurts you later, whether it's accounting or whether it's financial advice or whether it's legal advice, do you think a lot of business owners just skimp out too much on that? I think it was Oscar Wilde who said, uh, a cynic is somebody who knows the cost of everything and the value of nothing. Nice. Right, I think. Ah. 
<laughs> and uh, yeah, absolutely. The investment in good advice. Clearly, we're finding out about 40 minutes into this show, one absolute truth that Duncan is well-read and Lee and Ted not so well-read. Precisely. Well, well, now, now I have a whole notepad here of well-read stuff. I'm going Arguably to steal all of these. small paper sheets no. and large font. Yes, so. yeah. 100%. You know, Lee and I went to high school in New Jersey, so they didn't teach you all that much down there. Ted, I'm going to sound like Duncan when we're done. I'm going to memorize all of his statements and start using them over the next few We were good at Rebels recess. Fan or? Right? Uh, a flyers. Oh, I was flyers, a devil. I was a Devils right. fan. Yes. Yeah, yeah. South Jersey is Philadelphia, so I'm a, I'm a Philadelphia Sillies or Phillies fan. Philadelphia Flyers. Yeah, the flyers. I used to. Uh, side note. Uh, I used to play hockey with Wade Clark, Bobby Clark's son. Oh yeah, Bobby uh, Clark sorry. had like three teeth. Yeah, he did. And I'll tell you, I used to play soccer. Sorry, with Bobby Clark's son. And when I went to his house when I was ten or eleven years old, because everybody lived in in South Jersey from the Philadelphia Flyers, he, the shape of his pool was a Flyers logo. No, and I remember okay. jumping into That's it. Cool. So, and back then, when you're nine or ten, you don't even realize it's that big of a deal fun fact bobby clark canadian yep uh from the prairies right saskatchewan absolutely um yeah good guy absolutely what you're watching you know i actually originally grew up as a rangers fan and my dad was a huge hockey fan and he he would tell me every time that the rangers would play montreal it was always going to be a five to two loss and pretty much every time they went to travel, it was Guy Lafleur mm-hmm. and all the players there, and they'd lose every time. But when New Jersey got a hockey team, and the Devils opened up in the uh, the Meadowlands in there, we got season tickets, and we used to go all the time. And I think hockey's one of those sports that when you watch it on TV, it's it's tougher to watch, but in person, it is. The greatest game, Ted. I'll make That's one crazy more statement. Good. <clears throat> Duncan, we uh, I've been here for many years and, and we're we're getting off on a hockey tangent, but I'm so it's proud. It's the fifth, we can ask one It, in it is, it is, but I will admit, uh, the moment the Thrashers came to mm-hmm. town, uh, I bought two seats, attack zone twice, on the glass, right next to the Zamboni. And people think in most sports, you think of basketball, football, mm-hmm. you want to be on the 50-yard line. And in hockey, nothing happens at the 50-yard or the midway ice, of course. It all happens in the corner. So those are the best seats. I agree. It's subtle in between the blue lines, what happens. Extremely. It's important, but yeah, there's no question the the real uh, activities in the... So let me ask, I have a great plead the fifth, and if Duncan's wife is watching, this is an important one, just because you <laughs> mentioned her and I mentioned myself or my wife, Emily, is if, if we asked your wife, what was the one thing your wife would change about you, Duncan, uh, professionally, I guess we could say, and she might make it personal, but what is the one thing she would change about you if she could? Um, it's a long list, but... <laughs> I'm thinking <laughs> at the top would probably be a little less travel. Okay, a little fair. less travel. Yeah. Yeah. All right. How about a, a plea to fit there? You get to travel all over the place. I know you do a lot of speeches here in the United States. What would you say is the, the U.S. city that you've liked the least that you've been in? Uh, the least. You're just in the city and you thought, boy, this is not such a great city. I'm ready to get back on the plane and get out of here. Well, <clears throat> my Okay, I'm just going to... Look how diplomatic he's I'm going to bookend this because one of my favorite cities is Nashville. Yeah, Nashville. Great city. But generally, um, it's it's getting in between cities. It it becomes... Like, I I, I was in Birmingham, Alabama, and I had to go up to Nashville, and there were no flights, so I took an Uber. A three-hour Uber. Oh, yeah. An Uber to Birmingham. Yeah. There's a lot uh, in between Nashville and Birmingham. Well, here's what's funny. Halfway through in the middle of nowhere, we got a flat tire. So I said to the Uber driver, I said, let's go. Let's swap it out. And he said, yeah, I don't have a spare. (laughs) Oh, no. And I'm looking around. And I literally took a screenshot of where I was. And I texted my wife. And I said, hey, look, if you can never find... I'm here somewhere. Okay? You need to go looking for me later. But we ended up going to a wrecker. 
<laughs> and I'm looking through all these ruined wrecked cars. Look, and I, I said, that wheel right there has got the same lug alignment as this Chevy Impala. Yes. So I bought a wheel off a wrecked car. <laughs> Just, but that's, look at that, and look that's at that such an Alabama oh. story, too. Yeah. It really yeah, I was going to say, this is not the first time this Alabama. happened in Alabama, by the way. Donna, you get my car back there? But you know what? Birmingham is a great place, great town. It's nice. Yeah, Absolutely. You've been to Memphis, too? Oh, yeah. Weather pattern? Homeless. That's pretty much what we're <laughs> in. Exactly. Yeah, not right, such so a Duncan, great city. Uh, hecklers at your speeches and, and when you speak. Have you had a heckler? And what has happened with that heckle situation? Uh, I wouldn't say a heckler. I'd have to say that <laughs> you you get some of these people that want to really chime in, and then they you, you know you feed it a little bit, and yeah. then they just run with it. And I've had to say to them, "Hey, look, dude, this is my seminar." Have you said that? That's yeah, what I'm, I'm curious about. How ugly has it gotten? Have you had to ask? Well, with financial to advisors, truth be told, it's never hecklers. There's just a lot of know-it-alls that they'll just you know. Don't they have financial advisors? Well, well and they want to be heard, right? Because they're yeah. they're talkers. They they talk for a living, so they want to share with it, and they're passionate. So sometimes I got to rein. Have you had to excuse someone from one of your presentations? Never. Okay. Yeah. Why do financial advisors have such bloated egos? Undeservedly, I would say, because I know a lot of them. I've worked with a lot. You know, of them. we're we're very very lucky. Um, <laughs> He's so diplomatic. No, I'm, it's a fact. Very true. Uh, I've been saying for years the, the 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 advisors who like us the most need us the least. Yeah, that's that's what's counterintuitive. Is that the kind of people Chris and I attract right. into our uh, deliverables? They don't need us, but they respect us. Right? The clay is soft. They take it seriously, and they you you think about that blue square. They understand the connection between ambition and gratitude. They've got it both. They have immense appreciation for what they have and still aspiration for what they want. And they respect guidance. It's no different than an athlete, right? Who hires a coach. Okay, Sidney Crosby's got a coach, right? The best, one of the best in the world. And he doesn't believe his own hype and he knows it's fleeting. So I'll throw one more at you, and I know we've we've had my goodness, time flies nearly at an hour right now. Uh, let let's go into this, Dunklin. Again, you're so self aware. Obviously, you you're very humble, very open, very transparent. In your in the last ten years, what has been your greatest disappointment professionally? Um, probably overreaching. Elaborate. You know, um, you know, a friend of mine called it trying to put ten pounds in a five pound bag. Right. And biting off more than I could and not understanding the relationship between risk management. How did you navigate this? Because uh, once you bite off, it's there. What do you yeah, do? Yeah, it's, it's there and it's real. And uh, you just basically put your head down and you just be relentless. And have you learned from that? And what Oh, I tell you, adversity is a much better coach than success. Adversity much builds better. character is the I love term. that. You know, friction. You need a little bit. And, uh, yeah, it's very revealing. So we talk about entrepreneurship all the time, Ted. You know I'm going to go with this, and we speak of this wonderfully on the show. You've heard of IQ, and you've heard of EQ, but have you heard of AQ? AQ uh, is the adversity quotient. Oh, that's good. So you have the intellectual quotient, the emotional quotient, but we feel that entrepreneurs on the show and all of Absolutely. our entrepreneurs, one of the biggest facets is the adversity quotient yeah. and what challenges you go through and what you learn from it. So that that almost sounds like uh, you well, may steal that one from us. I, it's and, and it's, it's good. Well, I have a rule of three, right? So the first time I talk about it, I'll give you credit. 
I'll say it's like Lee said. Yeah. Second time, it's like someone said. Third time, it's like I've always said. Yeah. It just becomes yeah. money, right? That's a great way to do Spectacular. it. Spectacular. Spectacular. Well, Duncan, for folks that are listening to the podcast tonight or are going to see, uh, listen to a replay of this or they see us on YouTube at all, how can folks, any fee-for-service professional, but especially financial services professionals, if you really want to grow your business, these are the guys to talk to. How, th- how can they get in touch with you, learn more about the company, and your, uh, your stable of amazing coaches? I'd probably just say LinkedIn. <clears throat> uh, LinkedIn is great because we share actionable, proven strategies there virtually every business day. Sometimes it's video. Sometimes it's just a, a campaign or a template. But uh, that'd be a great place to start. Uh, Blue Square Method is around the corner, so you'll see that. See more of that coming. Launch. And um, we're sort of probing little bits from the book out there. Yeah. But um, very, uh, listen, if I'm the only guy who reads that book, it'll be worthwhile. Ted, if you want to share a little bit before we leave about what Duncan's plans may be here in Canada with the shrimp tank. Well, I think it's really, really exciting stuff. Uh, Duncan has been very successful with financial advisors all over the country of Canada. And uh, we soon, we're working with Duncan to launch Shrimp Tank Canada. And it's going to be really, really exciting when we have cities like Vancouver, Toronto, and all across the country basically doing exactly what we're doing in the States today, which is talking to entrepreneurs, sharing their stories, and really promoting that word. Like, look, wherever you live, you have to support your local business owners. These are the people that make it happen. They're in your community. They hire your children. They work with different families. They, they donate to charities. It's all about supporting your local entrepreneurs. And I'm so excitedly for Duncan to you know spread that gospel and, and really get more entrepreneur stories out there in Canada. Well, listen, uh, I am absolutely thrilled because um, entrepreneurs, they're the biggest employers. Huge. They're the most accountable they're the glue of capitalism. And, you know, I'm a pretty serious student on what's going on in the world, and I'm seeing these little sort of flickers around, you know, the merits of socialism. And, um, you know, Thomas Sowell, I don't know if you know that name. He's a great philosopher, and he, he, talked, he talks about poverty. And he said the best way to solve poverty is through the creation of wealth. That's right. Right? Not allocating it, but just energizing people. And, you know, I watched one of your uh, Shrimp Tank podcasts a while back, the, the initial one, and you, you talked about something that was very powerful about how many millennials and young people are starting to embrace entrepreneurship. It's big. And the entrepreneur, somebody who drafts behind an established entrepreneur, especially one who doesn't have a continuity and succession plan, might not have a son or daughter or a family member. Just identifying that mentor, being that protege and letting them shape you. I'm so excited about what the next 5, 10, 15 years looks like for the next generation of entrepreneurs and especially that fee-for-service knowledge-for-profit professional. Well, it's really cool and uh, we appreciate you coming a long way to do this program tonight. Uh, We're excited not only to see the growth of your business, which is amazing. Like I said, financial advisors, fee-for-service professionals have to look at this model. I mean, if you really want to get a coach to help you grow your business, you guys are the ones to do it, and we're excited to partner with you in Canada. And folks, we'll return in a couple weeks with the, uh, the regular shrimp tank. We've got some great guests before the end of the year. And next year, 
Lee and I are dialing this up. Would you love to hear from Dan Cathy or Arthur Blank or Sarah Blakely, billionaires that were here in Atlanta? Lee and I are going to be launching a new studio next year full with the green room and all kinds of stuff. It's going to be cool. So tune in next week to The Shrimp Tank. I've been feeling like a shark in a shrimp tank. Big fish, small pond in the shrimp tank. When it's a swim, only option is to win. In the murky water, not a thought of giving in. I've been feeling like a shark in a shrimp tank. Big fish, small pond in the shrimp tank. When it's a swim, only option is to win. In the murky water, not a thought of giving in. Welcome to the shrimp tank. Want to put it all together? This is big things. Doing big things. Chasing big dreams. Yeah, it's all real. This life's all that it seems. All the chicks scream, all the dudes yell, this just what I do and I do it well, with the flow fresher than the new shoe smell, going through hell, well homie keep going, you know the saying, you gon' reap what you sow in, so, so I don't chase girls, I just chase dreams, play the same game, but we ain't in the same league, running a campaign, roadie 2016, like a phone to die, put me in charge, I'm a general from the front, I'ma lead the charge, like a federal, fell on my lap, never, going hard as ever, the results match the effort. I've been feeling like a shark in a shrimp tank Big fish, small pond in the shrimp tank When it's a swim, only option is to win In the murky water, not a thought of giving in I've been feeling like a shark in a shrimp tank Big fish, small pond in the shrimp tank When it's a swim, only option is to win In the murky water, not a thought of giving in